Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Uh, good morning to you. It is so wonderful to be here on a Friday. A lot of wonderful things about that. Maybe the biggest part of that is that it is a Friday as we get ready for a weekend. And uh, we've been talking about weather all morning because it is going to be so beautiful this weekend. A high over the next three days, we'll get about 61 for the high. Uh, you know, I love the tropics. My wife and I are going down to the uh, to the Caribbean here in a few weeks uh, along with our daughters. We've been to Hawaii a few times. But it never really quite cools down there. You might get like 75 at night, 77. Uh, here, it cools down at night and in the wintertime, except for in maybe late July and in August. But uh, I, I just love this time of year. I love this weather. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. I, I suggest to you, uh, go on a hike. Uh, you know, to play some pickleball or tennis or do something. Go to the park, play some soccer, whatever. Throw the football around. Enjoy the great out of doors because uh, it is going to be absolutely perfect outside over the uh, over the uh, next few days. Uh, I'm Andy Griffin. Great to be here. I had a chance uh, yesterday to talk to Chris Stewart. He's the uh, U.S. Congressman representing Utah and in Washington D.C. Uh, had a really great conversation with uh, with Chris. Uh, he's really candid. You know, that's one thing I like about Chris Stewart. Now he is a, a best-selling author. He is a former Navy, uh, I don't know, Top Gun or whatever they call those, a great pilot. He was the only, the only person ever in the history of the Naval Academy to, uh, to uh, certify and qualify in both rescue and attack helicopters and in jets. Uh, and I'm not sure, I, I don't know all the semantics exactly which jets or whatever, but he was the, he's the only one that uh, that actually. Uh, ever in the history of the Naval Academy to be able to do both of those things, be certified and be able to fly both of those. And I don't, like I said, I don't know the particular models, but pretty, pretty big deal. And of course, he's a congressman. He goes to Washington, D.C. And the thing I like about Chris, maybe more than anything else, is he does not forget where he's from. He, he is very Utah-centric. Uh, and one of the things that Chris Stewart was concerned about is Utah is number five in the nation in suicides in per capita. Number five out of 50 states, 51 if you count D.C., that's significant. And when you see a number like that, you want to know why, you want to know what you can do to help. So we talked today a little bit about suicide prevention. Here's my conversation yesterday afternoon with Congressman Chris Stewart. News Radio 94.9, 890 KDXU. I am honored right now to be talking with Representative Chris Stewart from the U.S. Congress and, of course, representing Utah. Why, Mr. Stewart, I sure appreciate you joining me today. It's an honor to be with you. Now, uh, you know, we're talking about a, a subject today that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I think uh, a lot, not really anybody anymore, probably has been touched by the awful subject of suicide in our lives, whether it's a family member or a friend or a friend of a friend that, that we've known. And, you know, a lot of us feel sad. We want to do something about it, but we're not in a position to do anything. But you, as a, you know, as a congressman, you're a guy that says, you know what, I can do something. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, well, first, Andy, thanks, uh, and it is, I really mean it when I say it's honored to be with you, especially to talk about this subject, because this is a good example where we really can help people, give people some hope who feel hopeless, and, and at the end of the day, maybe save some people's lives. One of the things that we've done is this National Suicide Prevention Hotline number. It, it, the number is 988, and that is if you're in the mental, middle of a mental health crisis, if you are, or someone you love is is 
you're worried about them, if they're contemplating suicide, or maybe even you are, or, or whatever the crisis might be. Most people have no idea where they go for help. And this number, 988, you call that number and you're immediately going to be in contact with someone who can help you, someone who can help intervene, and at that moment of crisis might really make a difference. Uh, we're, we're very, very happy to have been the lead sponsor of that bill, and we'll have that number in about a year. There's some things the FCC has to do to kind of put implement it and put it finally in place, but uh, about a year from now we'll, we'll be having that number rolled out nationwide. But there's other things we could do as well, and if we have time, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more about the suicide hotline. Uh, you know, I've had family members and friends in crisis. Uh, my daughters are part of the Hope Squad, which is really helping uh, on a peer-to-peer level uh, in, in fighting suicide. Uh, but I'm going to be honest with you, you know, even though I've been kind of on the forefront in, in this topic, I had no idea that, you know, what the suicide hotline was. So this 988 number, it's going to be an incredible resource. Yeah, it really will. And, you know, there's some good news here, and unfortunately some bad news. I mean, the bad news is is that Utah, and this just surprises so many people, mm-hmm. but Utah is one of the highest suicide rates in the nation. We're the fifth highest. And I think most of us who love our state and are so proud of our people and our culture, that shocks many people. It surprises us, to think, because we think of ourselves as being a bit inoculated from that. Our society and the, and the, and the church support and the, and the community, we think, no, we're, we're a little better than that. And the truth is, is in this one thing, we're really not. Now, the good news is, is that we're, there's so many resources that can help people, but, but, but they, people have to know that, that they can talk about it. And that's where we've really made some breakthroughs. You know, five or six years ago, if I were to stand in front of a group of people of, say, 100 people and say, how many of you have, have been affected by a suicide or attempted suicide in your life? Hardly anyone would raise their hand, not because it wasn't true, but because they just didn't want to admit it. They didn't want to talk about it. And now if I stand in front of that group of people and ask that question, almost everyone raises their hand in, in some fashion, and you know, maybe not directly in their family, but someone they know and they care about. And the ability to talk about it and to tell people you're not alone, you're not the only one who feels this way, there is help available, that is such an important step. You know, you're, you have access to a lot of information that maybe a lot of us don't have. I guess that one of the things I talk about, and this is wonderful, the, you know, the suicide prevention, but do you have any idea maybe a, a, the root of, of why it's become more widespread, or has it even become more widespread than it was? No, it has, and that is, that is really the key and to answer that question, because there is something, and I mean, I guess we can look at our culture and our society, and, and maybe intuitively, I mean, just from a, just kind of in your heart and your gut, you know, but it's, it's maybe just harder to, to, to grow up and, and to live in this society than it used to be. But the mm-hmm. truth is, is that we just don't know. We know, that, we know that suicide rates have gone up and gone up significantly, something like 48% in the last 20 years. I mean, that's a remarkable change. But we don't yet know why, and we have to understand the reasons why, I think, in order to address it more effectively, which is why the second bill we sponsored, the Suicide Prevention Act, which is an effort to collect the information from all of the states and then an, an ability to train people that we don't have enough people trained now for suicide intervention. And, uh, and this is another second step in that. 
you know, it's it's easy. We can go, oh, well, it's smartphones. All the kids have smartphones. It's it's the smartphone's fault. Uh, and then there are other scapegoats. And, you know, maybe we're not as good a parents as our, as our parents were. Uh, but, man, I, I sure struggle to find a reason. And, and I think you're right, uh, you know, in that we've got to figure out why it's happening. Uh, and it's wonderful to address the problems and try to fix them. But I think the, really the root of the problem is is what yeah. we need to dig into. And that's, I think, I think it's great why you're having your these roundtables. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, and it's just together, mental health professionals and, and those in, in who work from the state and federal level, those who are counselors, those who work at, uh, you know, the psychiatric care centers, and just to hear what they're dealing with and to understand what it is that we can do to help them. And frankly, it was from one of these efforts that we came up with the idea of 988. Uh, that, was, uh, that was something we got from uh, some of our local state legislators who've been working on that. And so from these roundtables, you walk away with a list of two or three or four suggestions that you realize, okay, this is something that the federal government has to do. The states don't have the ability. They may not have the funding. The local communities may not have the ability. And in some cases, the answer is in the local communities, in a lot of cases in the families or in the state. In some few examples, it has to be a federal effort. And that's one of the purposes of these roundtables is just to figure out what can the federal government do to help in this Real, real kind of a crisis situation we find ourselves in when it comes to youth suicide and suicide among our veterans. There are obviously a million reasons, uh, 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 causes out there that you could address, and this seems to be like a, really a, an important one to you, Chris. Is, is there a particular reason why? Well, you know, it, it, there there is, but I'm just going to say that, you know, when people, uh, when I ask that question about have you been impacted by someone you care about who's attempted suicide or has had a successful suicide, I mean, I'm one of those people who raises their hand now. And, yeah, me too. And uh, so that was kind of carved out a soft spot in my heart for this, and part of it is just the practical reality of realizing, hey, there's a there's an answer here from that I can help uh, and, and do through Congress, and if we can help, let's go try and do something. You know, the, the gut feeling for a guy my age and you and I are similar in age is, well, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, why, why, why are you upset? There's nothing wrong with you. You'll be fine. And that's really not a very good answer anymore, is it? Well, I tell you what, for some people, it's the worst thing in the world to hear. Because if you're desperately looking for some kind of hope, and that's all these people sometimes are looking for, just someone to say, look, you don't have to feel this way. You won't feel this way forever. This can change. But if, on the other hand, all you're told is, hey, you're going to be fine. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. Just work your way through it. They they desperately need something more than that sometimes. And uh, and you know, you're right. Well, everyone, all of us get down once in a while. We all experience moments of sadness or depression or you know, things. part of life. I understand that. I think we all do. But we're talking about something fundamentally different. And in some of these cases, people just need help. It's not something they can do by themselves. And uh, and they need to know that there is help available. You know, when someone's reaching out at grasping for a lifeline, what do you think is the number one thing that they do need? They need someone to listen to them. They need some validation. What do you think it is? Well, I want to, I'll tell you my view on that, but I want to do so very carefully because I'm not a mental health professional. Sure, sure. Um, I'm not a, a psychiatrist nor a doctor, and I'm not trained in this profession, but I do know from my own experience, I think I can answer that. And I think what it comes back to, Andy, is what we started, what I said earlier, and that is, for someone to say in a credible and in a compassionate way, someone who who has experienced it in, in some level from the self, so they're speaking with some credibility to say, you, you first, you're not alone. 
People, other people felt this way, and they are now living happy, productive lives. Second is, you may be able to do this yourself, but you may not. And if you can't do it yourself, then let us help you. And there is help available. And some of this help can make a world of difference to people. And, you know, that's in my experience and the conversations I've had, I think that's really the only thing that I am able to say that's able to help them. Talking with uh, Representative Stewart, uh, what can we do to help? I'm 53. Most of my listeners are my age or a little bit older. What can we do on an individual basis to help out? Well, I think that's a great question. And, and you know, a couple of answers. One of them is just to, you know, support these initiatives. I mean, counties have initiatives. We've got Safe, uh, Safe Utah, which is, you know, this app that the youth can download. And if you work with youth or you have children, encourage them to download and make that app available. The peer-to-peer that you mentioned, Annie, can be so important and have some of our kids trained in this. Uh, but at the end of the day, we need to just be aware of people around us. You know, I think it was Plato or maybe Socrates said, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a different, a difficult battle. Yeah. And I think that's that was true 4,000 years ago when he said it, and it's still true today. And I think maybe the best thing that many of us can do is just for people and treat people with a little bit of compassion sometimes. I love those words. Those are definitely uh, words to live by. How has your uh, kind of rallying around this cause been received there in Washington, D.C.? Oh, well, you know, very, very well. Uh, Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is nonpartisan. Uh, We had, I don't know, I think 300 co-sponsors on our legislation, uh, bicameral House and Senate. Uh, You know, the president loved the bill and and was happy to, to support it. Uh, so, no, this is an issue, suicide and mental health, uh, especially, like I said, among our youth and our veterans, that's something that almost everyone can rally around. Now, data collection, I think, is going to be key in this as we try to figure out why it's happening. Uh, what have you done to address that? Is, is there a way we can maybe get a little better at figuring out why? Yeah. Yeah, so two thoughts on that, and then and then I'm, I'm going to have to jump here, Andy, but... Okay. Uh, uh, first is that Utah actually does a really good job at that, and our data collection is, is very thorough, and we're also very quick at it. The bad news is is a lot of states are not at all, and that's why the Suicide Prevention Act that I'm sponsoring would uh, you know, require these states to be more proactive in collecting the data, to share that data, and it's not intrusive. It's not violating anyone's privacy. It's just you know the numbers of incidences and whatever information we can regarding these tragedies. But we can learn from this information, but we have to have uh, the information available in order for us to draw those lessons. He's Chris Stewart addressing real issues that face every one of us on an everyday basis. I know you've got to go. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. Uh, it's, it's an honor. Let's, let's talk again. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. That was Chris Stewart, the U.S. congressman representing the state of Utah. You know, I like Chris Stewart a lot, and, and there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, number one, I, I think he's a really, really smart guy. He's really sharp. But, uh, and and uh, the other thing is I alluded to it as we, as we started this uh, show today. Uh, he doesn't forget where he's from. He, he finds issues that are real issues that affect Utah, but also affect other states, affect the rest of the country, but in particular affect Utah. And he goes after him and he, and, he, and he looks for an answer. A lot of us can complain. I complain all the time. Uh, but complaining without offering a solution to the problem to me is just wasted air, wasted uh, sound, wasted space. Here's a couple of things, a couple of food, uh, uh, food, couple of foods for thought, I guess. Something to think about before we go to commercial break here. Uh, in the last 45 years, suicide rates have increased by 60% worldwide. That's a lot. 
suicide attempts are 20 times more frequent uh, than completed suicide. So uh, suicide, when we're talking about the, you know, that the uh, suicide rates have increased by 60%, that does not count the attempts that are unsuccessful. And those are those have increased by like two thousand increased by like two thousand percent. You know, when we think of suicide, we think of a, a confused teenager, maybe a, a kid that got jilted by his girlfriend, or or whatever, something something like that. But you know, the number one age demographic in the world for suicide are males thirty five to forty four. That's uh, that. Th- those are dads. Those are guys that. You know, supposed to kind of have some experience and figured out life and stuff. They lead the world, U.S. and the world, in suicide, that demographic of 35 to 44-year-old males. That is, that is staggering to me. Um, although suicide rates have traditionally been highest among elderly males, uh, young, younger males, that, uh, the ones that we're just talking about, have, have passed that rate. And uh, let's see, uh, mental health disorders, particularly depression and substance abuse, are associated with more than 90% of all cases of suicide. Just, just food for thought on, on this, this topic. Now, I had, uh, I had a brother commit suicide, and, you know, I, I, it was a weird situation in which he originally uh, thought about attempting it, thought better of it, uh, he contacted uh, a mental health facility. They took him in. This was like over a holiday weekend. Fourth of July is when it was, 23 years ago. And um, they, they, they took him in, and they pretty much decided he was fine. And they let him go, but he didn't go home. He, my, my parents went and picked him up. The facility was down in Nevada. They put, took, picked, him, picked him up, took him home, took him home to, to their house. Now, we're talking about at the time he was about 40 years old. Fits right in that demographic we were talking about. Uh, And then the situation with his wife escalated, and he ended up uh, not just thinking about it, but actually uh, doing it, following through on it. And, and, you know, the the thing is, is uh, it didn't hurt him. In fact, it probably relieved a lot of the pain that he was going through emotionally and physically. But it, it it sure hurt us. It hurt the people that he left behind. And... It's it's a kind of a weird thing, suicide. It's it's so very selfish, but at the same time, it's so very unselfish. They, a person, usually a person that commits suicide is someone that feels like the world would be better off without them. If you look at, uh, you know, it's a wonderful life. George Bailey, remember, he was contemplating suicide when the angel Clarence jumped in the water and he ended up saving him. And I mean, that's kind of where people are at. Most of the time, they're at the end of a rope. They not literally, but figuratively. They, they, they can't see a way out how the situation is going to be fixed. And that's how it was with my brother. I'm not saying that's how it is every time, but that's how it is. With, that's how it was with, the, you know, with, with my brother, and that's how a lot of people are. And we do have a caller in. 673-5890 is your phone number if you want to call in today. Uh, we're going to get a little less downer uh, in the next half hour, but let's go right to the phones. Uh, caller, you're on with Andy. What's up this morning? Uh, do you need to go to a commercial break? Yeah, we got about two minutes. Yeah, you, you, give me what you, you got. Sure? Yeah, absolutely. Two minutes. Fire away. Oh, it's only to take five minutes, but oh well. <laughs> well, um, I'm excited. This is going to be a great year. For instance, uh, buying the silencer, I already put the 200 and 
down. I'm going to get my tax stamp. Um, people are going to see, at least, and this is my, my personal opinion, but people are going to see that, well, I don't know if they will, but they should see that Romney is a rhino. In my opinion, he's a rhino. He, 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 he's going to vote with the Democrats. He's yeah. going to vote against him. I don't know why. I don't know why he hates Trump, but he sure acts like it. He sure acts like it. And I'm kind of sick of him. I didn't vote for him. And I'm sorry, but there's a lot of people that voted for him because it's, there's an R and because of one other reason based on the demographics of the population. But I saw right through him. I saw right through him. I always thought, oh, this guy, he's just a, he's just a company man. He's just a toe-the-line man, just a yes man, does whatever. Um, really excited. I was gonna, uh, By the way, uh, two dogs, the, the whole family, the house, the mortgage, the cars, uh-huh. I'll bet it all. I'll bet it all. And you can take this to the bank. Trump's not only going to be reelected, he's going to be reelected in bigger numbers. I feel it. I know it. It's going to be great. It's going to, I'm so excited. It's going to be a great year. I'm going to lose weight. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, actually, you know, get out, get exercise, kind of get trained up. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah. So, I, I agree with you. I think I think we got a big year ahead of us, and I I think honest truth. I think that people, besides all the loudmouths, those loudmouth liberals, I think most of the country is is seeing that President Trump has been good for this country, and it's going to be a, a great I, year and a great reelection. I have one last thing to say. Yeah. Did you see any video or any pictures from the uh, gun the pro gun rally in Virginia? I saw some pictures. Yeah. Well, I studied a lot of video. I was trying to keep my eye on it because I was wondering if it was going to be a tipping point. Yeah. But you should know, and everyone else should know, two things. I noticed four things when I was looking at every video and every picture from the program rally in Virginia. There was no, number one, there was no screaming. There was no screeching. Yeah. Okay? No bright-haired screeching. Number two, there were no cops having to use tasers, batons handcuffs or firearms right number three number three i didn't see any garbage and litter all over the ground Hmm. i also didn't hear gunshots and i didn't hear any yelling or fighting and fourth after the program rally was done they cleaned up any stickers and posters and left stuff behind they cleaned up afterwards kind of like an eagle scout like me they Mm -hmm. they cleaned up after themselves and, and, and poor little CNN had to. They had to finally one lady in their what entire whole cadre of everyone they have hired and working for CNN, there was finally one lady, kind of a darker lady, that was there on the scene as a reporter. She finally had to say, there is no issues. The police are telling us everything is peaceful and fine. Sorry. You go to these, the, you know, these pro-abortion rallies, the women's right rallies. You go to the death. Sorry. There's, it's just it's, it's a total, complete opposite. We're the responsible ones. We are the adults in this country. They're yeah. the children. And I'm sorry, but we're the ones that have to put them to bed, have to force feed them the vegetables. We're the grown-ups. Yeah, good call. And, and good that's, call. That's, 
that's my rant. But anyway, thanks. I love it. I love it. Thanks for the call. I agree with you on on many of those fronts. I really do believe, unless something really bad happens in this country over the next eight nine months, that uh, President Trump will be reelected because he has done he has done what I think no other politician ever has done. He made promises and he's done everything in his power to try to keep those promises, and that's pretty cool. It's time for Open Line Friday on The Andy Griffin Show. It's your chance to be heard, air your grievances, and take your shot. Only on Open Line Friday on The Andy Griffin Show. Welcome back to the program. Again, we had a little bit of a different show. We had Representative Chris Stewart on for the first 11 minutes of the program. Uh, very, Very smart guy. Uh, he is the guy that sponsored the bill to get a suicide hotline simplified. There is a suicide hotline out there, but I bet I could ask uh, 100 people and 99 of them wouldn't have any idea what it was. Now we can all Google it with our phones, I guess. But uh, if someone's in crisis, they should be able to uh, access some counseling pretty pretty quickly. Uh, and so... Um, they have uh, they have uh, actually gotten it passed to, so that the suicide hotline will be 988. You got 911 for emergencies. You got 988 for mental emergencies or someone in crisis. I like it. I think it's fan- a fantastic idea. Uh, I wonder, you know, how how my life would have been different had my brother had access to something like that. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but it's certainly something that uh, you know I, I think is a, is a good thing. And, uh, you know, you're going to talk proper role of government and taxes and things like that. Man, you could make a case that this is a ridiculous use of, of money and, and government, but I like it. I think it's, I think it's a service that is, uh, is a, given the trend, uh, the upward trend of suicide in our society, I think this is a really good service to have. Uh, I was going to read you a statistic that uh, kind of blows me away. I think it's uh, right here. Every day in the United States, every day in America, 129 people die by their own hand. They die of suicide. Suicide. 129 every single day? That's, I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's what, seven times 129, so uh, uh, 800 and something, 800 plus deaths a week from suicide. I mean, that's, that's staggering, and it's, it's heartbreaking is what it is. Uh, so, so Chris Stewart has, uh, has passed the legislation. It's bipartisan. Both parties were, were, were actually in agreement on this one, which does not happen much anymore. And uh, we're going to have the 988 hotline for suicide prevention. The only bad thing is the FCC has to clear some things and stuff, and it, it's actually not going to be ready for a little while. But at least it's coming. At least it's coming. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, one of the co-sponsors of the bill. His name is Seth Moulton. He's a Democrat, but uh, he helped co-sponsor the bill. He said, uh, when your house is on fire, you don't have time to look up the fire department's phone number. And that's why we have 911. In the same way, you should know what number to dial when a friend, a loved one, or you yourself are experiencing a mental health crisis. This is a major milestone on the road to where mental health care in America is just part of health care, period. It's one part of ending the stigma around mental health and making Americans healthier and stronger. Do you have any thoughts on this? 673-5890 is the phone number, 673-5890. Um, 
again, suicide, you, you think it doesn't touch you. It happens. It happens here in this town. I had, you know, an experience in the, in the media, and I've been in the media, mostly newspaper, but newspaper and radio for 30 years, 30, uh, 32, I think, in 1988 is when I, maybe 89 is when I started as a young uh, journalist. And uh, it's a weird way that, that uh, the media, the journal, uh, journalism uh, treats a suicide. Uh, I remember one time, this was a long time ago, I was up in a, in a uh, uh, rural county in Idaho. I was doing an internship there. I want to say it was uh, maybe 89, summer of 89, or maybe 90. And um, what a, a prominent citizen, a business owner in town, uh, you know, it was, it was Preston, Idaho. So, I mean, there's only like a thousand people in the town anyway, maybe two. Everybody knew everybody. This guy owned a, a store in town. He went missing. And, of course, you know, I mean, that's a big deal. A prominent citizen goes missing. And uh, somewhat, it was a big enough deal that uh, TV stations and, and, and writers and radio guys uh, from Salt Lake went up to Preston, Idaho, about two-hour drive. And they were doing stories on this guy missing. They figured he got kidnapped or, you know, or something crazy happened with the guy. And they, they searched, and so they, they, he was gone for like three days or something. And then they found his body. And they found his body. He had, he had killed himself. He had propped a gun up against the fence and shot himself. And so instead of kind of completing the story, um, they, everybody disappeared. They, they cleared out. And I thought, well, this is weird. Why, why isn't it still the story? Because he's still as prominent a citizen you know, he's still a prominent guy. Everybody in town knew him. He still went missing, and he's still dead. This is still a story. Why aren't they writing about it? And then as I went digging around trying to, trying to you know, write a story for this little newspaper I was working for, uh, I, got, I got this. I got a lot of people saying, uh, can, can you just leave it alone? Is, can you just, yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't really want to talk about it. Can you just... And, you know, it added to my confusion because I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a reporter. I just want to see what happened. They're like, yeah, we don't really want you to say what happened. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Prominent guys, you know, business owner. What do you mean you don't want me to say what happened? And I got that over and over and over again. And I finally met with my publisher, the guy that, that owned the newspaper that I was working for. And I said, well, here's my angle. Here's kind of what I want to do on this story. And he looked at me and he said, oh, that's nice, but no. I said, what? what do you mean, no? He said, well, it's my newspaper, and I, and I don't want you to write that story. I said, well, people wonder what happened to him. He says, well, they'll find out in the obituary. I was, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, what? they won't find out in the obituary. Everybody knows an obituary for someone that commits suicide is purposely ambiguous. You don't find out anything. They say, you know, send flowers, and uh, you know, his life ended suddenly, and, and things like that. And he said, well, that's probably the way it should be. I said, but but you know, I'm 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 here. I'm I'm getting trained in journalism. I'm going to be a I'm going to be a reporter. I want to do the 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 reporter thing, expose the truth. And he said, yeah, well, it's my newspaper, and you work for me. And if you want to keep working for me, you're not going to write that story. And even if you wrote it, we wouldn't pass it. The editor wouldn't put it in the paper anyway. And I was like, uh, okay, you win. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 22 years old, and I, yeah, I, okay, you win. I'm not going to fight that. I, I just, you know, for a long time in this country, it was don't talk about suicide. 
if someone's thinking about it, you know, don't talk about it. If someone's uh, done it, oh, definitely don't talk about it if they've actually done it. I remember back in high school. No, I'm a, I'm a member of the LDS faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I took a, a class, a seminary class, which I wasn't studying to be a priest. That's just what young people, if you're not familiar, that's what young people do, ninth uh, through 12th grade in the church. They take a, it's basically a, a, a religion class, a theology class. Uh, not for you to study to be a, a pe- preacher, but just so that you can learn more about your religion and about the scriptures. And uh, when I was in high school, there was these three guys, and uh, I didn't know them very well, they, just acquaintances, because I went to a pretty big high school. There were like 2,500 students in the high school. And these three guys decided, they, they made a suicide pact. They were all three going to commit suicide at the same night at the same time at, at their homes at a different location. So uh, the, the, the witching hour, as they say, uh, came, and... The one kid did it, the second kid tried it but failed, and the third kid chickened out and didn't do it. So on Monday at school, this was like a Friday night, all this happened. Of course, the word traveled like wildfire around the community that this happened. Uh, and on Monday at school, I remember I went to seminary class, and uh, I, I sat, you know, second second row from the back maybe maybe it was even the back row i don't remember exactly but i usually like to sit in the back so i could uh, get a you know scope the room anyway yeah and the seminary teacher got up and he just railed on these guys just for for 45 minutes he just went off on these guys that that tried suicide just how stupid this how selfish just over and everything that you could think of to try i think his goal was to try to to show us that that's not smart and don't do that, which, you know, admirable goal. So at the end of the class, after he railed on them for, for 45 minutes, just, just, I mean, the guy who was dead, uh, you know, probably heard, heard it. That's, that's how, that's how harsh he was. So at the end of the class, this, this teacher, uh, you know, realized, okay, I only got a minute or two left. He says, is anybody here? Not okay with what I said. Does anybody have a problem with what I said today? And nobody raised their hand. And I'm on the back row. And finally, I, I raised my hand. And he's like, he's like, Griffin, why don't you stay after class and talk with me, me in my office? And I'm like, oh, man, I wish I hadn't raised my hand. <laughs> and then uh, everybody got up and left. Bell rang. Everybody got up and left. And I walked over into his office. And he joined me a few seconds later. And he said, uh, "He said, were these guys your friends? Were you, were you, uh, you know, were you really close with them?" And I said, "No." He said, "What? Well, well, then why did you, you know, why did you have a problem with what they said?" And I said, "Well, uh, I have a problem with it because I feel like they've been through enough already, and that you ought to just leave them alone." And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I don't know if he was feeling guilt or anger, or. Uh, whatever other emotion went through him at that moment. But I think I got to him a little bit. I think he realized that, you know, railing on these kids for trying suicide was not the correct approach in that instance, in my opinion. So uh, anyway, that was uh, that was uh, about uh, 15 years before my brother then uh, committed suicide. And I certainly be, uh, brought it home a little, a little closer. Um, by the way, my brother's name was Gordon, and he was born in 1958, so he would have been, uh, what is that, 62 
this year. Rest in peace, bro. Uh, time to get a commercial break. Ian, do you want to thank Joe Shoney, local loan consultant, focusing on customer service. Joe Shoney is fantastic online. Now, he asks his customers, he says, look, good or bad, go and review what you, what you think of me. And uh, good or bad, well, mostly good, because he averages 4.91 out of 5 stars with 298, nearly 300 reviews online. They include Catherine, who says Joe and his team were all professional, efficient, and friendly through the entire process. Uh, This is Kim. Joe stayed in communication and kept us advised at all times. Uh, This is uh, Arturo. He said, Joe Shoney did a great service for me. Again, 4.91 out of 5 stars. If that was a movie, you'd go see it right now. Give Joe Shoney a call, local loan consultant. His phone number is 435-590-6300, or you can reach him online. You can send him an email, joe.shoney, S-C-H-O-N-E-Y, joe.shoney at nafinc.com. Man, we've used up most of Open Line Friday. Love to hear from you, though. We still have about six or seven minutes left. On the program, I'm Andy Griffin. The phone number is 673-5890. 673-5890 is the number. And uh, you know, I'll watch the phone lines as I uh, move on to yet another topic. This one's a fascinating. The story came out today uh, all over the nation. It was on AP. It was on Metro Source. It was on all, all, the, uh, all the main news sources. And it, it was uh, about toxic water. You're like, what? Toxic water? Yeah, toxic water. Dozens of cities nationwide, I think 42 is the number, including Miami, Philadelphia, and New Orleans, have toxic forever chemicals, they're calling them, in their drinking water, an environmental group reported on Wednesday. Such long-lived PFAS chemicals have emerged in the last decade as a wider pollution concern because of some evidence of links to cancer and lowered fertility. This chemical is one of the chemicals they use in uh, Teflon, and they used in firefighting foams. And they thought, okay, well, there's, uh, there's a trace amount in different places. It must be from the firefighting foams or maybe some le- leaking off of a Teflon. But now they're finding out it's a little more widespread than they thought. Now, the good news for us here in Utah, there is no city in the state of Utah uh, that has any problem with that. And the only city in the state of Nevada is Las Vegas. So, I mean, Las Vegas is relatively close. Uh, don't drink the water? Is that what they say? Yeah. But uh, uh, no, no, no city in Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, or North Dakota, or Nebraska has, uh, has this uh, PFAS. PF is what it's called. Yeah, PFAS is what it's called. Um, however, if you look at pretty much every major city in America, with the exception of Salt Lake and Boise, I don't know if those are major cities or not, but you look at all the big ones throughout the country, uh, including Dallas and Houston and Texas, uh, including L.A., San Diego and California, New York City, New Orleans, Miami, Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah, all the big ones have this tainted water. It's basically like lead. It's not lead, but it's like lead, and it can lead to cancer. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's put out by a group that I haven't haven't heard of like Stronger America, in, oh, environment, work, Environmental Working Group, EWG. Uh, and maybe it's an alarmist deal. And I'd like to see their numbers and get some proof on this, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, it's, it's so funny because I used to make fun of people for 
they wouldn't drink tap water. They have to have a, have to have bottled water or they have to have filtered water. And you know, I, I've always been the kind of guy. If I need a drink of water, I th- throw some ice in there. I go over to the sink and I get some water. And I, I used to make fun of people that would not drink tap water. And turns out maybe the laugh's on me. I don't know. By the way, the, to qualify, you had to have at least half a million people. So they did not study cities like St. George, which have significantly less than that. But uh, I feel like we're pretty safe. And we're going to talk with Dr. Dave Blodgett on Monday, by the way, and, uh, and get his thoughts on that. On, and on the coronavirus, that's that virus that seems to be taking on a life of its own. I have some doomsayer friends that say this world's not going to end by nuclear war or any kind of war. This world's going to end by all of us getting an uncurable disease. Food for thought. We've got about three minutes left. Let's go to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with Andy this morning. What's up? Good morning, Andy. Morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, good to talk uh, to you. On the, on the subject with uh, the suicide, it's yeah, it's uh, such a hard subject to talk about. And and I myself, I had a, a, a friend uh, go out last week, and I had a brother that went out uh, last year. So wow. it's, it's, very, it's a very touching subject. Yeah. But... The thing that the, the thing that I'd like to hear more of, and people, is is the majority of it, you know, to a large extent, is is uh, male, right? And I think that to a large degree, it's it's not that we we're not we're not we don't want help. It's just sometimes we're the breadwinner and we're the one trying to take all the stress and that make everything happen. And so sometimes it's so I don't know. Maybe it's just they don't feel like that it's uh, manly to get help, but you're you're stronger if you go get help. You're right. You're and right. It, you know, and this and this uh, three-digit access code, you know, that it, it, I think it'll help. And I think the one thing that I wish more people would, you know, help people understand is that you're not you're not a wuss. You're not less of a man for getting help. You're more of a man, and you're better for it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Fantastic of you to call in and share that. It's a really complex issue, you know, and there's, there's a, for every person there's a different reason why they do that. But, yeah, you're not weak if you get help. You really aren't. No. And, it, and it, it's in, in the moment you feel alone. You feel like nobody's on your side, but it's, it. it it's important, and I, like I say, it, it's a very heavy subject for me, and I I hope that, you know, at some point, you know, somebody may at one point hear a message and anything I can do, you know, people that know me know that I'm an open open book yeah. to help, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure grateful for somebody bringing up kind of the taboo subject because it's, it's hard to talk about, especially publicly. It is. Listen, we got to run, but I, I really appreciate your contribution today. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Andy. I, I too, had a brother uh, commit suicide, and, uh, you know, I, I I guess maybe the only the ver- the only positive to come out of that was it made me reevaluate my life and try a little harder to be present in those uh, in the lives of those that I love. 